0: to episode 53 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Gosselin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. It was a huge pleasure recently for me to take a trip up to deepest rural Aberdeenshire in the company of the Society's founder, Pip Hills. Pip had suggested returning to his friend's farmhouse. That's where he first experienced single cask, cask cask-strength whisky, served up from a lemonade bottle by a neighbouring farmer who was paying a visit. It proved to be a eureka moment for Pip, and subsequently led to the foundation of the Scotch Malt Whisky Society. Forty years on from that, I'll let Pip and his friends Duncan and Katrina McArdle tell the story in their own words. Settle down with a society dram and say thank you for Pip's epiphany. So, we're here where it all started with Kay and Duncan Ricardo in the farmhouse in Aberdeenshire. With Pip Hills, the founder of the society, and my understanding is this all started with a rusty combine harvester. Uh, you were here that day, Pip. What, what do you remember about what happened that day?
1: Well, I remember that Duncan and Kay along with the farm had bought an enormous pile of rusting machinery. And they also had a field of ripe barley. And one of the bits of machinery was combine harvester. And instead of getting a contractor in to mow it, um, I happened up and we looked at the combine harvester and um, thought well maybe we could get this to go and um, we did Duncan, we got the engine to run and then Duncan tried various levers as I recall.
2: Yes that's right Yeah,
0: Because <coughs> yeah. You didn't actually know how this thing worked, you had to kind of figure it out? Not a clue,
2: I don't think I'd ever been on a combine before this <laughs> and of course it's got a funny, um, the steering goes to the back wheels so it overreacts with a 12-foot bar on the front, so you've got to watch what you're doing. So we headed out to the field anyway. and You're driving? Yeah, I'm that's right. Perched high on top of a... Couple. Right up the top, yeah. Um, made it down into the field, stopped and thought, wait a minute, what do we do now? So we decided, because we didn't want any straw and have to bail up the straw, that we would cut the... Barley, nice and short, and then graze the horses in the rest of the field. Perfect sense. But as Pip says in his book, that's exactly what caused a load of amusement with the locals. Fancy cutting it off at that length, you know? It's ridiculous. These these foreigners. So then we headed through, churning away, grinding away. Ended up with some barley in the hopper. I think you had to bag it up from that hopper, didn't you? Yeah. We're going with bags. <coughs> And um,
3: that was about it. It worked. What was your role, Key? Running behind, trying to <laughs> trying to say stop, stop, That's stop, right.
1: and, and bringing bags and yes, binder twine.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> right. It was just uh, partly chaos and partly frenetic. I mean, there was so much laughter, um, side-splitting laughter. I, I don't think um, any of us had been quite so um, overtaken by sheer utter amusement mm-hmm. and uh, a bit of uh, terror as well. Yes, this I mean the, it was such a huge, a tiny machine by modern standards, oh, wow. but by our own standards, this huge, rusty, great red thing th- thundering around. I mean, a tiny field. It was only a three-acre field, but again, by our standards, it was enormous and puffing great clouds of smoke. Um, <laughs> we, were, we were just gone,
0: gone smoke. And it caused a bit of amusement i suppose with the local farming communities oh, that right. you'd got this ancient piece of machinery up and running well, and you were Pit, Pit pointed, at, Pit pointed
2: at the locals who were slowing down or stopping just that's to right. see this
1: happen. parking their cars
2: yes and right.
1: causing an, an obstruction because it the entrance to the fields <laughs> on the corner down there yes. and um, they would all get out of their cars and lean on lean on the fence uh, yes and watch those townies but then and it... remark on the fact that the combine didn't go in straight lines. <laughs> no, of course
0: not. <laughs> but then you had the last laugh because after mm-hmm. you got your crop in, the heavens opened, and they did. Did yes. it stayed.
2: They stayed that way for a oh,
1: a good <clears throat> month nearly. Yes. that's right. It was the. It must have been the only crop of barley taken in the Howe of mm-hmm. that yes. year. Yeah.
0: So, this kind of raised your standing in the local farming community. People oh, looked at you a wee bit different. I'm thought, not
2: sure of that because I think we had a lot of time to serve before we got accepted into the area.
3: Well, we had the nickname of the Shelty Folk Fretuch. And what does that mean? <laughs> the horsey people. <laughs> ah, Shelty Folk. The Shelty Folk. Well,
2: the Pre-tuch. general local Doric name for a, anything smaller than a Clydesdale is a Shelt. Presumably from Shetland Ponies, but I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. There might be another etymological mm-hmm. track to follow, but um, that's why Kay says we were the Shelty folk. Were well, they? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And the, the village is <coughs> called Toch, so Shelty folk is for okay.
0: And after that, your neighbour, uh, Stan, would come over to share a wee whisky with you. That's So, right. so he, he started to visit, and, uh, and then Pip, I think that was the first time you had really tasted this kind of whisky. What do you remember uh, about Stan's visit? Well, I, mean,
1: I came to visit practically the day you bought the farm, yeah. and so certainly as soon as you moved in. And I've been... I've, I mean, we've known each other since the late 1950s, I think. Mm, just about. Yeah, just maybe mm. a pretty near. It's yeah. as long ago as that. And... Um, I suppose I've been visiting here three or four times a year, every year since then. <laughs> <laughs> Any time I'm in the area, I call in, and sometimes I just decide to come up and say hello. And anyway, I came in uh, one time and stayed, and that evening Stan came over and brought a bottle. A lemonade bottle with a dark brown liquid in it. Something a bit like this. Exactly oh, like that. And um, he said would we, would we like a dram and Kay fetched the glasses and so, some some, water and um, stand for drams. And I asked what it was and he said it was whiskey. <laughs> what do you think it is? <laughs> um, <clears throat> there was no question. <coughs> and um, so I, 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 had, I had had no great liking for whiskey, I must say, um, but I tried this stuff and I thought it was wonderful. It tasted just astonishing. And quite unlike any whiskey I'd drunk before, and um, we drank quite a lot of it. <laughs> and I have all, all my life, I have suffered severely from hangovers, and to my astonishment, when I got up, in the wee bedroom upstairs, the next morning, I didn't have a hangover, well, not not bad hangover, and um, I was very curious because the stuff tasted great and it didn't, it didn't do you harm. <clears throat> so I asked what it was about. I think it was the next time I came up mm-hmm. and Stan came over again, and brought another bottle and I, I knew what I was expecting that time so I, I asked Stan what it was about and he told me uh, where it had come from and I mean the story was very sim- simple. Stan bought his whiskey once a year in a cask and it was a quarter sherry cask which he bought from Glen Farkless. He got in his old Land Rover once a year and went over the Cabrach to Speyside and then turned left up the valley of the Spey until he got to Ballendarch, where Glen Farkless is. And he bought this cask of whiskey. And he brought it back and he took it into his, the living room of his wee farmhouse. And he had a stand and he put the, the cask on a stand and he drove a spigot in the end of it. And he drew his drums straight from the cask, and when he came to visit here, he drew a bottle off and this was this was the finest malt whiskey, because Glenfarclas has always been great, and it had been matured in a quarter cask sherry cask, which of course meant that uh, the smaller the cask, the more rapid the maturation and it was combination of these things plus the fact that the whiskey we were drinking and this is something I didn't learn about until much later it hadn't been chill filtered like most whiskey has and it just tasted wonderful so I went back to Edinburgh full of the joys and um, told a few of my chums and the word spread and eventually the idea emerged that perhaps there were so many of these chums who were very pleased to hear the story of Stan's whisky that I got the idea that perhaps I should see if I should form a syndicate of my pals and we should jointly buy a cask of whisky and divide it up among the members of the syndicate.
0: But you had to get access to the people at Glen Farthest. Well, so, yes. So that could only come through s- Stan well, vouchers for your, right, for your character. The,
1: these, these casks were not available to anyone walking in off the street. <laughs> they were, I think, the end of a long tradition going back to the early 19th century when bottles were few and expensive mm-hmm. and people bought their whiskey in a jug from, from a retailer or wholesale in a cask from the distiller, and when people buying casks would obviously be gentry or farming folk mm-hmm. people of of substance who were able to afford that much whiskey at one time. but um, as bottles became more readily available in the nineteenth century, distillers started bottling whiskey and people started buying whiskey in the bottle, but there were a few who kept up the tradition of buying whiskey and cask. And I think this was at the end of the cask. So I asked Stan about it and he said, he told me how how he had got it. And he said, if you want it, um, I'll give you George Grant's phone number and you can tell him that I gave it to you. So I went home phoned up the grants at Glenfarcus, explained who I was, explained that I was a friend of Stans, and asked if there was any possibility of buying one of these casks of whiskey. As it turned out, somebody had died and left no one to inherit a supply of quarter cask, an annual supply. Um, and the grant said, Well, since you're a friend of Stans, you're presumably a respectable person, despite being a lowlander, Um, and they agreed to sell it to me and so I called a meeting of my pals and said right guys, here's the deal we can buy a cask of this stuff it will cost, duty paid, it will cost £2,500 which since there were about a dozen of us I think worked out at about a gallon apiece and they all said fine, you get it we'll provide the cash so I went up to Glen Fartless in the old Lagonda with a cheque for £2,500, and that was the beginning of it.
2: Yeah, And and with the trailer on the back at one stage?
1: And it was only later that the trailer became necessary ah, because right. the friends gave drums to their friends, and the friends of the friends all rang me up and said, can I join your syndicate?" And I when are you going to get another cask and I said I've no intention of getting another cask but I'll take your phone number so I called another and also within a month or so which seems astonishing but members of the syndicate were ringing me up and saying I'm running low on whiskey (laughs) which seemed a remarkable consumption of 100 proof whiskey But um, they would ring me up and say, when are you going to get more? And I would say, I have no intention of getting more. But they kept ringing up and I said, "Okay, called a meeting. They all came down and met in the lobby of our house in Scotland Street. And I said, "Okay." there's all these pals of yours want to join the syndicate. And they all said, oh, that's fine, let's double it in size. And I said, well, just a minute. I know guarantee that we can get any more and they all all seemed sort of to have a surprising amount of confidence in my ability to procure this stuff (laughs) so they all said well that's fine you arrange it so I phoned up the grants and they said well you've had this year's we can let you have next year's cask and that of the year after but beyond that, it'll be too young and we won't sell it. So I said, OK. And fortunately, the Lagonda had a tow bar and I had a little trailer. So I went up towing a trailer and I came back with two casks of whiskey. Um, it, was, it was a long trip. And um, it was was about four o'clock in the morning when I I got into Edinburgh. It had been a long trip. It had been cold. There had been snow at the top of the Dramochta Pass. And I had got out in a lay-by and realised my trailer lights weren't working. And um, I thought, well, you can see the car rear lights. So it's no great worry. And anyway, I wasn't going to unhitch the trailer and... Leave 5,000 pounds worth of whiskey lying unattended in a lay-by. So I carried on and all was well until I got to Craigleith Avenue which was about a quarter of a mile from our house and I heard the sound of a siren behind me and this was a police car and um, I wound, the policeman came up to me and I wound the window down and he said um, would you mind telling me, sir, what's in the trailer? And I said, Well, you can see it's the barrels. He said, Aye, and um what's in the barrels? And I said, Whiskey. And I could see that, you know, slightly taken aback by this. He wasn't used to people transporting whiskey in an old lagonda in the middle of the night. And he takes his notebook out and he said, you'll be aware that your trailer lights are not working. I said, as a matter of fact, officer, I am. Oh, he says, you'll be, you'll be aware that it's an offence. And I said, I am, but before you book me, consider what I will tell the magistrate if I have to. I'll tell him that I had £5,000 worth of whiskey in a trailer whose lights weren't working, and I only discovered this at the top of the Dramohtar Pass. And I did consider leaving the frisky so that I could strictly obey the law. But I thought that perhaps by doing that, I would contribute to a greater offence than driving without trailer lights. And I said, I'll be surprised if I get fined. And he said, aye, I see what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) And Prutty is... put his notebook back in his pocket, and he said, where are you going? And I said, Scotland Street. It's not far. He said, well, in that case, we'll escort you home. <laughs> so I got a police escort home, <laughs> and I put the whiskey in the garage where I normally kept the leg on. And one of the officers said, wistfully, he said, you don't suppose you'll be opening one of the cars tonight? And I said, no, certainly not
0: worth a try it was worth a try it sounds like a series of epiphanies because you were here and it was your first experience of drinking that unchilled filtered (laughs) cask strength whiskey straight straight from the cask Uh, and then that kind of struck an idea in your head but then everyone else that you shared your first cask with back in Edinburgh kind of had The same reaction this, oh, was, absolutely. this was that they'd never experienced before
1: yes I mean they were all
0: and they were all sort of
1: middle class more or less professional people in Edinburgh, good few of them taught in the university and were a couple of doctors and um, they were people who could afford to contribute to share in a cask of whiskey, but they were all folk who they were all Scots and they were all people who were used to drinking whiskey, so they knew what whiskey tasted like, and they all thought it was just wonderful and um, it was its own recommendation so um they they told their friends and the friends told the friends, and the word spread, and I kept getting people phoning me up and eventually um, called a meeting of the syndicate and said, "Look guys, this stuff appears." really to be very much better than the whisky that anyone's used to. I'm not saying it was a whole lot better than some of the stuff that the very rare people like Glen Farkas who would bottle full-strength whisky, were selling. But it, it greatly exceeded anyone's expectations. And I said to them, look guys, it seems to me that there has got to be a market for stuff like this. What do you say that we form a small company and if it's as good as we think it is, we won't need to advertise it. All we've got to do is put it in bottles and your friends and the friends of your friends are all going to come and buy the stuff. So as a business plan, it was terribly simple Mm -hmm. and it required very little in the way of capital except the cost of the whiskey and a few bottles Mm -hmm. and so we did so we did we I I went to my lawyer Mike Bell was his name and he was you remember Mike Mm -hmm. (coughs) Mike was a very respectable Edinburgh lawyer and a really good bloke and
3: um he was my best man for my first wedding
1: He fancied you strongly, actually.
3: OK. (laughs) He (laughs)
0: did.
1: He did. He, Mike, had a great shine for Kay. Anyway, um, I phoned up Mike and said, look, since this is a legal matter, would you deal deal with it? And he said, sure. And I told him that I wanted a company for this. And he said, what are you going to call it? And I said, well... I think we should call it the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Oh, he said, that's a, that's a fine name. Um, you could have trouble with the registrar, though. And I said, why? As far as I'm aware, there isn't an, any another Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. He said, no, but it does sound as though it has national significance. And anything like that, the registrar's a bit cagey about about names. But he says, I'll put it to him and I'll give him your number and um, see how you get on so uh, a week or so later I got a call from the registrar and nice woman said "Um, you've applied for this company Um, we would like to know why you think you should have this as a company name and I said well it's very simple really We are a Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. And as far as I know, there aren't any other Scotch Malt Whiskey Societies. And it's all true. Um, So I don't see why we shouldn't. And she said, well, fair enough. And um, we got the name.
0: And that was 1983. So the society is heading into its 40th year in 2023. Uh, How does that feel from that moment back here when you first tasted that whiskey and then your friends in Edinburgh were introduced to it that you know we're here almost 40 years later the society has more than 35,000 members (coughs) now around the world but you know it, it really comes back to this place where if you hadn't been here and experienced that that whisky out of Stan's lemonade bottle, then, you know, it's, we've come a long way. How, how do you feel about that journey to the point that, 40 years on, the Society is a global club of, of whisky lovers?
1: Well, quite pleased. <laughs> no question about that. Um, not totally surprised, because it became obvious quite soon after we'd started the thing, that people thought it was just great. And we didn't have to advertise. We got the most amazing press people all over, particularly in Britain and in the United States. I mean, we got extraordinary press coverage and the press all thought it was wonderful and the members all thought it was wonderful. And, um, I did have the... I, you know, I thought this, this, this could be really large. I knew nothing about large companies. They're, they're closed book to me. But um, I could see that it, 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 it was expanding of its own volition. And I think that's the case again
0: today. I mean, yeah. Well, the, I think it's very... It's like you said, the whiskey speaks for itself. And for, for, for anyone who has the opportunity to try that whiskey. In that, you know, undiluted cask strength, single cask, mm-hmm. unchill filtered form, it does spark an epiphany in mm. most people. when When they try it for the first time, then they want to try more, they, and they want to mm-hmm. seek out different bottlings from different distilleries, and uh, and and start <coughs> on that journey.
1: And they like the idea of being members of a club who do this and doing it with other folk, because it's fun to do. Mm. And they also like the idea that this is probably the best distilled liquor this side of Alpha Centauri. And they're members of a club whose business it is to supply them with this stuff. They have access to it. They don't have to be millionaires to get to it. And there's all sorts of whiskey being sold for crazy prices. Which isn't any better than this. Mm -hmm. Some of it is not nearly as good. Mm -hmm.
3: I think also the 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 feeling and the imagery of it being totally Scottish, um, no holds barred. You know that some of the other uh, liquors being sold are not Scottish, and um, I I think the feeling that this is coming from the glens uh, has a a A unique uh, cachet
0: yeah it's an authentic spirit mm-hmm. from from a specific place yes. yes well
1: yes although having having said that. Two days ago, I bottle of, I bought a bottle of Cuban rum from Tesco, and it's really good. I recommend <laughs> it. <laughs> well,
0: we're not going to talk about
3: that. That's beyond the pale. <laughs> not
1: at all. Not at all.
3: Well,
0: I'd like to raise a wee glass to Kay and to Duncan, especially Thank for you. your key role in this story. That if Pip hadn't been here at that time and Stan hadn't come over with his lemonade mm-hmm. bottle of whiskey. Yes then, you know, the society might never have come well, about because you might never have had that opportunity.
1: Probably never have been interested. Yeah, yes.
0: so uh, <laughs> we've, we've got a lemonade bottle of our own with, uh, yes. with, with some whiskey from the same distillery that uh, Stan bottled his from. So I'll pour a wee measure and you can thank see you. what you think. What a colour. Well, it's from the same kind of sherry cask hmm. maturation as, I believe, Stan's quarter cask was, so. Yes.
1: Right, we'll need a drop of water, I should think. Put
0: a wee Shall bit in Shall I put some my... in for yes, you, Yes, okay.
3: Thank you. do. Yes. Thank you very much.
0: Well, if I can raise a glass to both Kay and Duncan for your hospitality today, <laughs> and for okay. your part in the foundation of the society, okay. it's, uh, it's great to be here and to, to hear the story. And of course to Pip for yes. everything that you've done for the Whiskey Society. Yes. The, fa- the founder, aye. The founder. Uh, and to the fact founder. That we're still here. Right. Cheers, cheers. to
2: you. Cheers. 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 Slangevar. An-
0: Slan
3: Slangevar. Slan Slan and to Stan. And to Stan. And to Stan. And to Stan. Stan. Yes.
1: Stan. Dear departed Stan.
3: Oh, that is lovely.
0: Does that take you back? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that's good.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, things haven't changed that much. We're still... Absolutely. No, not that, best that best. Absolutely. Best. It's always nice to get Pip's seal of approval on a Society Whiskey, 40 years on from when he founded what is now the world's largest whiskey club. You can read more about our return to Aberdeenshire and Pip's whiskey epiphany in the January issue of Unfiltered magazine available exclusively to members of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. And look out for our short film, capturing Pip's return to the farmhouse where it all began with his friends, Duncan and Katrina. That's it for this episode of Whiskey Talk. Until the next time, Cheers.